0: I want to talk to you about an issue that so many of us think we have a an answer to our country's situation or our world situation, but really often we are wrong. And so this would be entitled Godly leaders do not make a godly nation. And I've simply pulled out a number of the leaders, starting with Moses, but then after David and Solomon Rehoboam, looking at Judah and what they developed in some of their kings. So I want to say all this from the scripture with an understanding that we can't look to godly leaders to change our nation back to righteousness. It might happen. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm simply trying to say I wouldn't count on it if I were you. God has a better way, and he has been using that in different places in the world. So follow me now. First of all, there's Moses. Now let me give you Moses description he's the most humble man on earth the Lord said he was in constant communication with God don't you just wish that you read in the book of Exodus just God's constantly talking to him and then when when Israel went bad God threatened to de- to destroy them and start all over with Moses eliminating Abraham's descendants and started with Moses, but Moses interceded for them, which means he wasn't interested in promoting himself as the head of God's people. He was willing to fight for Abraham's offspring, and so he prayed for them, and God didn't destroy them, and God gave him The privilege of leading them for those 40 years through the wilderness. But over and over and over again, they rebelled against God. In spite of Moses' godly leadership, they rebelled against God. Moses made a couple of mistakes, but he was a godly man, per se. And when Moses prayed for them, God says in Exodus thirty-three seventeen, 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked, which was don't destroy them, Lord, because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Now, that is a tremendous honor for someone to hear their name spoken by God. Then there's a guy named David, King David, one of my heroes of the Old Testament, of course, but King David. But even King David, he made a couple of mistakes too, but by and large, God honored him and kept him straight in 2 Samuel 24.1. Israel, again, in spite of David's righteousness, They were sliding into sin, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. And so, at this point, God literally stirred in David to do something which he shouldn't have done. If you're over to 1 Chronicles 21, you'll see that it actually says that Satan was involved, one of the few times in the Old Testament where Satan is even mentioned. And he was doing it to bring judgment on Israel, but David was used. I would like to have it say that David was used to bring the people back to righteousness. But it was saying that he was incited to do something wrong so judgment could come upon them to sharpen them up, get them to stop doing what they were doing. Now, God really cares for his people. In 1 Chronicles 17, verse 9, the the first part of that um, verse um, we're told in the Scriptures just before that that David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but God was more concerned about building for his people. And this is what it says in verse 9, the first half, I will prepare a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a throne of their own, I'm sorry, a home of their own and no longer be this." Disturbed. And so God was saying, David, you want to build a house for me. That's nice. But I've been very content, he says before this, to live in a tent all the way through the wilderness and now all the way through Judges and up to the time of Saul and David. I've lived in a tent. I'm more concerned about building security for my people that are living in Israel this time. So all the way through this, I want you to understand that in spite of the situation that our nation may be, in, in spite of the the sin, the disobedience, all the stuff we see, not only out there, but stuff we hear within the church that is disturbing and goes against the commands of the Lord. Lord is still concerned about him. He says in in Ezekiel, he says, I do not like the death of anyone. Another place he says, he wants everyone to be saved and have eternal life. So it isn't within his heart to, to try to be mean to us. The only time he brings any judgment upon anybody at any time is to try to turn them around. So they'll come back, and they'll serve him. The kings, I'm going to go now into when Judah was there. Israel had been taken out into captivity, spread out around the world, the ten tribes of Israel. But Judah and Benjamin were still there, and some of the kings they had were godly kings. So let's look at some of them. First of all, I'm going to look at King Asa from 2 Chronicles 15, and it's the first eight verses. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Azahad, who was a prophet, son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I'm going to emphasize, God is concerned about his people. He says, if you'll seek me, I'll be found by you. I love that. For, verse 3, For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But that's before the Mosaic law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. So there's the the character of God, even though for a period of time they've lived in rebellion. Now when they hear that they're looking for him, he allows himself to be found by them. I love it, you know. Picture for a minute a mother in the mall where she, for some reason, her little four-year-old boy has disappeared. And she can't find him, and she panics, and and she goes to the lost and found, and they make an announcement, and finally somebody comes with the little boy, and the little boy mom says to Mommy, Mommy, uh, you were lost. Well, that's the way we are many times. We're lost. But if we start seeking for the Lord, he will find us. The mother found him. Verse 5, in these days it was not safe to travel about. That's the condition of the nation, crime. For all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. Verse 6 says, one nation was being crushed by another and one city by another. Because, listen, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. He's concerned. He is in love with those he created. He's concerned, and he's trying to get the... bringing all this garbage on them so they will turn around and go back to him. Verse 7 says, But as for you, it's still the prophet speaking to Asa, but as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. He was a good king. When Asa heard these words and the prophets of Asa, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the king's temple. And so he moved on God's word. He's calling us today. He's calling leaders in our lands. He's calling heads of government. He's calling heads of churches, heads of educational institutions, even heads of business. He's calling us to look for him and turn around. But by and large, the historical evidence from our scriptures and from life in general We refuse to seek him out. By and large, we refuse to. Of course, there are exceptions, but we refuse to search for him. So let's look at some of the kings that were good and some of the rebellion of the people that were there. So my point is to try to say, we can't depend on our leaders to turn the base the nation back to the Lord Jesus. So look at them. Jehoshaphat, first of all, King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 17 verse 5. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, that's Jehoshaphat, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord, Furthermore, he removed the high places and the astral poles from Judah. Those astral poles were simply carvings of naked women mostly. It says in chapter 20, the same man, verse 32, he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. I said, how come he didn't do that? I think it's because the people had set them up, and if he destroyed one after he's gone, they'd simply build them up again. Because, listen, the people, I'm still reading verse 33, the people still had not set their hearts on the God of their fathers. So in spite of all his good work, in spite of the example he was setting, in spite of what he did, the people still were going their own way. And then we have King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5. He sought God during the days of Zechariah. Zechariah was the prophet at that time who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. But later on, verse 16, he became proud, and it led to his downfall. In other words, he started out good, and then he flundered and fell. And when you fall, when a leader falls, when the leader of a nation falls, when a church, when the pastor gets into sin, and it's not dealt with, and it's not, there's no consequences, you see, the people see that, and they would say, well, it's okay with him. I guess it's okay with me. That's happening politically, where people can, in in positions of trust, they can steal our money, they can do things illegally, and when they're not brought to court over it and charged, the people of the land say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, in one of our previous elections, not too many years ago, it was revealed that the government had stolen almost a billion dollars in the rifles, where the rifles of everybody across our land were supposed to be registered. Listen, it costs thousands of dollars for each rifle, if you figure it out. Then later it was found they stole another $140 million in an advertising scandal, and they actually admitted they had done that. But there was no justice. When the next government came in, they should have brought justice. They should have done something to to bring them to an account of what they had done. Nothing was done. Do you know what that said? In the, knowing all that, in the election that happened, after people knew that, 30% of our voters still voted for that party. That means 30% of the people who were voting were saying, I guess it's okay for them. If I was in the same position, I would now do the same thing. That's what the message is. Then after him was Jane, King Jothan, Second Chronicles twenty-seven, verse two, just the ha- first half of that verse. King Uzziah's son did what was right, and that's what the verse two says. The people, however, continued their corrupt practices. Here's a godly king; he did what was right. The people continued on. You see, if a king goes bad. People copy him, and they do what he did, thinking to themselves, I guess it's okay. There's no consequences. But when a king does what's right, they don't pay attention to him in many situations. Then there was King Hezekiah. 2 Kings 18, verse 5, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, There was was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So from the time that that Judah became a separate nation from the rest of Israel, and Israel was gone, the ten tribes, in that whole time, kings, he was the best. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse 10, he sends out a call For people to return to the Lord. And this is what it says, the couriers went out from town to town and even up into Ephraim and Manasseh, because there was people living on the east side of the Jordan, but Hezekiah now had control of those. As far as Zembulun, but listen to what it says, but the people scorned and ridiculed him. So they didn't listen to this godly man who there's no one like him in all of the kings of Judah. 2 Kings 20, verse 16 to 18, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away and they'll become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. God was saying through the prophet Isaiah Hezekiah, because your people won't listen to righteousness, they won't obey the law. Therefore, at some point, you're going to lose everything, all that you've built, even your family. They're going to be humiliated becoming a eunuch serving the king of Babylon. That's going to happen because the people have scorned and ridiculed what you sent out in the couriers. God still cares for his people. He loves us, died for us. He died for us without any guarantee. That anybody after the cross would serve him. No guarantees. He still did it, suffered, and died. Praise God, he rose again. He's waiting for us in heaven. Then there's King Josiah. He did in, verse, in chapter 23, 2 Kings 23, he did the same thing as Hezekiah in cleaning up the land. But again, the hearts of the people didn't change, and he didn't fare so well in his later years either. Something changed in his attitude, and he turned away from the Lord. Many of the kings started good but turned bad. They had a negative effect on the people, a negative effect. Now listen to what I want to tell you now. I believe the answer is what we have seen in in places here and places there around the world in the last couple of hundred years. As a matter of fact, when um, Ramsey McMullen, a professor at Yale University, when he talked about the early Roman Empire, he was a professor who is known as the, one of the mo- foremost teachers of early Roman history, the time of Christ and after the time of Christ. That's what he taught. But he wrote a book because he said, I found so many things about the way the church started taking over. You need to realize it. It's a powerful book, Christianizing the Roman Empire, it's called. Yale University Press, Ramsey McMullen. that's the author. By the year 400, this totally pagan nation, the Roman Empire, which was pagan at the time of Jesus, but started to change. And he tells you in that book how it changed what they did. It certainly wasn't the king that changed things but they became a Christian nation and classed as a Christian nation after the year 400. Even Constantine, their ruler, became a Christian 312. So what's the alternative if, Christian, if godly leaders won't bring us back to a godly nation? I don't know of any other route except revival, hitting a country and changing that country because the voters, if they're evil, will always vote for an evil party, a party that's giving them everything they want, loosening up morality laws, allowing freedom, allowing all the garbage that the evil enemy wants to bring in, and they'll always vote for those people. So we need revival. And the revival in the Wales... 1904, 1905, Evans Roberts was the man that led it there. There were so many people saved. The bars were turned into churches. Other businesses that were of ill repute were closed down, in other words, revival. As as some people have defined it, revival is when it not only just hits the church, it, it starts to hit the community and community starts to change. If it doesn't do that, I hesitate to call it revival. And you see, that happened in Wales. It happened to Duncan Campbell, who was called in when it started to happen in the Hebrides, which is just up north of Scotland. It says he was a fiery Scottish, Scottish preacher whose main claim to fame was that he was a leader in the Lewis Awakening, it was called, or the Hebrides Revival, as some people call it. It happened in the 40s, 1940s. And it says in, in a long article where he, it's recorded and preached at a Bible school, it says that 75% of the hundreds that were saved were saved outside of the church. God was smiting them when they're on the sidewalk, when they're in their homes, when they're at work, where they had to quit work and get down on their knees because repentance had come. The spirit of repentance fell on that island, and people all over the place were getting saved here and there and there. And you see, we we have... always thought, well, we need a good preacher Sunday morning who will preach a powerful sermon, and that's what will get people saved. Wrong, 75% of the people have said they will never go to church, but they did because they got saved somewhere out in the sidewalk or at work or in their homes. The Welsh Revival records the same thing happening as Duncan Campbell records the Hebrides Revival. When I read Ramsay McMillan's book on on Christianizing the Roman Empire, there's just some little guy. He didn't even have, couldn't afford a donkey. couldn't Couldn't afford anything. He just traveled This little prophet he calls him, to, He keeps hearing the reading these records of these guys, and they just go into a village or into a town or into a city, and they. And they go in there and they say, uh, uh, "Do you have any sick people here the doctor can't help? Or do you have anybody here that's disturbed at night by evil spirits? If if you have, just bring them to me." And they would bring these people to these little guys that had no reputation, no name, no no sound system, no prayer group behind them, probably nothing. They had nothing. They they didn't even have a Bible because the the scrolls are in the temple. They, didn't carry them around like we do. They'd heal people, cast out demons. they raised raise the dead. And whole cities, whole towns, whole villages would turn to the Lord. They weren't dependent on, oh, let's get a president that loves the Lord and he'll turn over. No, they were, they were actually saying, we can do it with the power of God because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit we can do it. I'm waiting for the day, and I've cried to the Lord. I've said, Lord, please raise up people that will start to intercede, that you would put into place some warriors who would pray through, pray through, because in the in the Hebrides revival, two old ladies, one of them blind, sisters, sought the Lord many days. And then out of that came this group of men who met in a barn. They'd, after the work was done, they'd meet in the barn till all hours of the night, interceding, crying out to God for revival. And God sent revival. Because, and that's what I believe has to happen across our land, where there will be a people praying, said, Lord, send the warriors, send the, the people to do warfare, those that won't give up on you send revival lord god send the prophets to speak to us whatever you want but lord bring revival oh my god i have no other plan because you have no other plan to save our nation from being destroyed from the corruption from the lies we're listening you can save us lord god by raising up People who will start to fight against the enemy and ask for a breakthrough in the demonic realm so we can see revival. Do it, Lord, pray it, my people. pray it, start praying from coast to coast that we would start to see a prayer revival to raise up revival in this land. Please visit our website at jwMI. Dot .ca to find out about more information of our ministry